What is up, everybody? Raymond Summerlin here, the Sharp Angles podcast. I appreciate you tuning in and listening. We are going to today keep going on our unit ranking series that we've been doing for a couple of weeks now. Last week, we talked about head coaches with Patrick Doherty. The week before that, we talked about quarterbacks with Dan Pizzuta. This week, we're going to be talking about running backs with someone that makes a lot of sense to talk about running backs. When I was thinking about, all right, who can we talk about running backs with? Uh, I thought back to your legendary upside running back piece that you did several years ago, which is fitting because now he is Patrick Corain of legendaryupside.com. I'm sorry, the czar of legendaryupside.com, <laughs> winner of Best Ball Mania 3, at Pat Corain on Twitter. Mr. Patrick Corain, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, of course, Ray. I'm excited to to talk some running backs. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the the legendary upside series is is one I got started on Rotor World, uh, looking at kind of the the archetypes of running backs that maybe can deliver these massive fantasy seasons that win you leagues. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't always draft running backs, but I do like trying to figure out which ones are are going to be really good. Well, it was really funny when we started. We were going back and forth on which situations we wanted to talk about yesterday. And I was a little upset you didn't bring up Dallas, you know, of your daily Rojo fame. Now, Ronald Jones is in Dallas. I feel like that should be like, I feel like you really need to lean into the bit here and say, you know, you can't draft Tony Pollard in the first round. You got to draft Ronald Jones, obviously. I'll lean into it. And like, I'm, I'm a little burned by the the way the Chiefs played it. So let me make sure that Deuce Vaughn doesn't emerge in an Isaiah Pacheco style training camp takeover. (laughs) They don't, they don't sign Zeke back. Like if I, Malik Davis isn't the second coming of, you know, forms, whatever, you know, I, uh, I will, I think draft some Rojo if, if the, if it looks good, if, if the signs, the signs from now on start to look good, um, I'll be back on, on the train, but, uh, I'm just patiently waiting right now. I, I could never remember, like I, I kept, I had to go look at your Twitter profile to remember which Rojo name you picked. Cause there's so many fun so many fun puns here. Like we could do fantasy Rojo, uh, the talented Mister Rojo. Like there's all sorts of all sorts of fun names. Daily Rojo. That's you though, right? Daily Rojo. That Daily Rojo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ronald Jones. Good. Here to crush spirits again. So today we're not going to be talking specifically about fantasy, although both of us are primarily fantasy guys. It will come up for sure. We're going to be looking more at these these backfields as a whole, how they work out, how good are they. Are they actually going to be, which is, you know, the focus of the unit rankings that I've been doing and everybody on staff's been doing for Warren Sharp's preview book, the best preview book in the business. You can pre-order it right now on sharpfootballanalysis.com, hashtag ad. So all of our unit rankings will be in there and we'll talk about them and you'll be able to read about them. Uh, Ryan McChrystal's writing all of them up. And so there's a lot going on in there. But what we're going to do is just talk about a few of the interesting situations. And one of the most interesting situations both in real life and in fantasy for me, is in Philadelphia. And I think that the first thing I would say about this before I throw to you is I did my unit rankings for Philadelphia, and the only one that was outside of the top 10 was running back. And that just kind of shows how smart teams are actually building their rosters here. And what Howie Roseman did this offseason was take two low-cost, high-upside swings at the position knowing that if both of them don't work out, who cares? Because he still has Kenneth Gainwell and he can find replacement level players. Latavius Murray's are always out there on on the waiver wire. And so it's first thing I always want to say about it is 
they really built this correctly. But the backfield itself, those two upside swings are very interesting. And it's it's kind of, I don't really know how this is going to work out. Like, do you have any idea who's actually going to be the main back in this backfield, what we're going to see in this rotation? I mean, so fantasy drafters are, are drafting like it's Swift, then Penny, then Gainwell. And, you know, I think that's probably like a, a good way for those backs to be ordered for their fantasy upside. But I mean, I don't really feel that confident that DeAndre Swift can like lead a backfield in like a real world meaningful sense. Like it strikes me that he's going to be kind of an explosion back. He's not particularly, he was quite poor in NFL next gen success rate last year, which, you know, is probably not going to make him very popular in Philly. Certain wasn't, wasn't popular in Detroit. If you're not kind of like, that's not really who he is. He's not the guy who like hits the hole, you know, runs the plays designed, get, you know, gets upfield quickly, runs through the tackles. Like he's, he's an explosive rusher. He's an explosive receiver. I've been a swift fan because I think that explosive element is really kind of underrated. I think coaches underrated it um, because they kind of want to see the guy doing what they told him to do. Uh, but I do think it, it makes him an, a real dog to like kind of take over the backfield. I think he's more likely to to provide kind of like what Kenny Gainwell was providing, but he's a sort of a bit of a, an upgraded version. That's kind of my concern with this backfield really is that I look at it. I don't see anybody that I would trust to whatever you think about Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders was able to come in there and take on that workload and be the running back they they needed him to be, especially in second halves of games last year. Uh, we'll see how much of that we have now with, you know, are they going to continue to be as dominant? You know, that's that's certainly up, up for debate. We might have to see more Jalen Hurts in the second half, which fantasy players would, would definitely be excited if we saw more Jalen Hurts throws in the second half this year. But so, you know, maybe they don't need that. But you mentioned that Swift is not really that kind of guy that you're going to expect to come in there and do that. I will say he's averaged something like 13 touches a game throughout his career, which is a higher number than I would have guessed for, for Swift. But you have to worry, is he going to stay healthy? I mean, he has played at least 13 games in, in all of his seasons, but a lot of those were like, he was on the injury report for a lot of those, for a lot of those games. <laughs> then they, you know, they take the upside swing on Rashad Penny. He obviously has much larger injury concerns. But what we've seen over a very small sample is that he's one of the more explosive running backs in the league. And that's what you can say about yeah. both of these guys. Over the last two seasons, Penny's second among qualified running backs in 10-plus yard runs, and Swift is ninth. So both of these guys are explosive. The Eagles created explosive running plays last year. You would think that if both of these guys are healthy, this running game will be explosive and will be very good. But are they going to stay healthy? Can either of them really take over in a way that they need them to take over uh, later, maybe in games, whenever they're looking at it? And, you know, are they even the best running backs? Like, Kenny Gainwell was really good in the playoffs last year. He so, was. So, like, are you going to get rid of Kenneth Gainwell? So I think that when I ranked them, and again, this was the lowest rank I had for the entire Eagles roster. When I ranked them kind of in the, the low teens, I think it was, it might have been 20 exactly, actually. That was more because of uncertainty, because I think that if this backfield works the way that it probably should, where Swift is getting 10 to 13 touches a game, 
and Penny's getting 10 to 13 touches a game, it is going to be an explosive running game that is going to be very effective. But the question then becomes, can we rely on them to stay healthy for long enough for that to happen? And, and if not, kind of who's going to be taking over those roles? And so that's really the only question I have with this backfield. But again, running back kind of doesn't matter. And like, I'm sure they could pick up Leonard Fournette off the street before week one if Penny gets hurt in training camp, and they'd probably be fine, right? They would be fine, but I think, I mean, I actually think this is a good running back room. Like, I think they did, they've done a tremendous job here. They haven't paid anything really, and they've put together uh, a running back room that has three guys who all have explosive ability. And yeah, like Penny, is he going to stay healthy? That's always been the big the big issue with him. Um, and I have no idea if he's going to stay healthy now. You know, no one no one can say they do. But, I mean, if he does stay healthy, he's he's a baller. Like, I think Penny, Penny's the guy for me where it's like if someone just, like, takes over the backfield, it's Penny because he's such a good rusher. And he's he is – he does have – he did have a high success rate last year. He also uh, crushed in rush yards over expected, which is a NFL next-gen stat I like. Two years and, in a row, he's crushed in rush yards over expected. Now, to be fair, both right. of them were small samples, but it's two years in a row. That stat is not necessarily the stickiest stat, but he's now done it twice in a row that suggests, okay, this is a real thing. That's happening. Yeah, he led the league in 2021 in that stat. And then last year, uh, he was he was like, he didn't have enough attempts to actually qualify, but I was capturing it uh, as the weeks went on. And, you know, he had a decent decent number of attempts. He was between Tony Pollard and Travis Etienne. Only uh, Brees Hall, Khalil Herbert, and Nick Chubb finished higher uh, other than Pollard. So, yeah, he's he's put together some really impressive rushes over the last few years. He's a big back. He does hit the hole. He does do what you expect. I mean, he's the guy where it's like, who can benefit from the mobile quarterback in a great offensive line? I mean, obviously Swift can as well, but, I mean, it's like you get Penny up to speed. That's like a real... I, he's sort of an upgrade on – I think he's an upgrade on Miles Sanders in terms of when he's out there, you know, doing what Miles Sanders was really asked to do, which was just to run the ball. You know, he wasn't – he had the lowest yards per hour in the league last year. He was not a receiver at all. So I think we'll – for as long as we get to see it, I think I think we'll see a, a pretty exciting element here with Penny. The other thing that's interesting about Penny to me is that – he did actually have a good yards per route run in college. Over his career, he had 1.86 yards per route run, which is really high. It's just behind James Cook. Uh, it was ahead of James Conner, ahead of Travis Etienne, ahead of Saquon Barkley, ahead of Leonard Fournette. I mean, he wasn't a zero in the passing game in college. You know, he, we we know who he is. I mean, he only ran like six routes per game in college, so he wasn't like a receiving back. But – much like we've seen with Derrick Henry, you know, where you like they finally start throwing to him and oh, it works because he's you know in space. Like Derrick Henry in space actually works. Hold, like hold on, an explosive big player in space like that works out. That's it works out. That, that would be the case. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I don't think he'll really be involved in the the passing game at all. I think it'll be a Sanders situation, lowest yards per hour in the league probably for Penny. But like, I think he'd be fine if they threw to him. So I'm just. You know, again, in kind of a screen type of way. But I think that, you know, the three of them, 
really do give the Eagles like a number of different outs to explosive plays in the running game. And that's what they need. Like they don't necessarily need, you know, someone who's getting the three. We need three yards. Go get the three yards. Like if you need a couple yards, run Jalen Hurts up the middle and then run Jalen Hurts up the middle again on fourth down. Like they can do it that way. (laughs) No, no, I agree. And like literally if, if these three backs stay healthy and like it hits, they are going to have, like I said, they're going to have the best, one of the best, if not the best running game in the league. We'll see what the Falcons turn into. The Falcons can repeat that. The Falcons probably will have the best running game in the league. Probably, but the yeah. Eagles will but the Eagles will be close behind. It's just all about uncertainty for me and kind of what happens. You mentioned the explosiveness with Penny and fitting in with this offense. Rich Rebar has a stat. The Eagles led the NFL with 85.1% of their running back runs coming from shotgun a year ago. And Penny... Uh, on his 62 cents from shotgun the past two seasons has averaged seven yards per carry. Wow. Wow. So, <laughs> so That's read, amazing. Right off, of, right off of Rich Rebar's uh, running back rankings, which are available on sharpfootballanalysis.com and our fantasy football draft kit, hashtag ad. I'm just going to keep throwing those in there. That seems like that that's seems a hell like of a stat, right? The, uh, yes, the, the overlords will like me throwing in all those stats. So let's move on to... Let's move on to Swift's old stomping grounds in Detroit, which like heading into draft night, I wouldn't have thought that Detroit would be an interesting situation to talk about. They, you know, still hated DeAndre Swift, it seemed like. They replaced Jamal Williams with David Montgomery, who could can probably do more in the passing game, can definitely do more in the passing game than Jamal Williams was was doing for them. And so you thought, all right, we're gonna see something that's, you know, similar to last year. And then like a bullet out of the blue, like they drafted Jamar Gibbs at number 12 overall later on in draft weekend, they traded away Swift to the Eagles. And I just, now I look at this situation. It's changed the way I view this situation. It's changed the way I view Gibbs because his, his type of archetype would be a player that I'm not all that interested in from a fantasy perspective. If we're looking at it from that way, but now he has a uh, 12th overall draft capital. And I yep. just, this situation is this situation is very odd and I'm not sure how it's going to play out. It is odd. I mean, you know, they're fist pumping after taking a running back 12th overall that like most people thought would go in the late first um and and you know early in, I, in the I tweeted about this. They had the 18th pick. Does anybody think that Gibbs wouldn't be in the 85th? And there was reporting after the fact that, oh, the Jets were looking at. No, they weren't. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is leaked information from, from Brad Holmes. They could have picked Jamar Gibbs at 18. It's, like, it's wild to me. That whole sequence was wild to me. Well, the issue is that in this alternate universe, are they taking an off-ball linebacker at 12? I mean, yeah, so they're just taking they're just taking Campbell at 12. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, they were already doomed. so i don't know i mean it's definitely strange um i liked gibbs as a prospect i mean he's 199 pounds um so that's that's an issue for fantasy uh but he was an incredible receiving prospect and that that matters a ton for fantasy upside and it matters a ton for real life i mean you don't want to necessarily be throwing to your running back a lot from like it's not the most efficient way to have your offense set up but if you're going to utilize the running back, um, you should be able to throw to him, you know. So, and the Eagles, or the sorry, the Lions, they definitely have an offense that's going to going to use the running back. And I, you know, to some extent, I think it makes sense to try to have 
really high end underneath targets for Jared Goff. Like that, it's kind of I kind of like what they're doing in a conceptual way. I don't like the draft capital they spent on Gibbs at all, but like, you know, if it was a Kenny Gainwell fifth round selection, I'd be like, okay, this is fun. You've got a receiving back, you've got a pure field stretcher and Jameson Williams who's like Jared Goff's not going to throw to a guy like deep unless he's like wide open, but this guy actually can get wide open. You got the kind of the premier super underneath option, Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, I was kind of hoping they'd add Jackson Smith and Jigba and just like have the double like get get open in two yards, dudes. I mean, Goff would be so, so happy. Fun. Yeah. Oh, that'd have been. They just run just two tight splits on the outside, <laughs> and they just give them option routes and just. Yeah. See who's open and throw it to him, Jared. Like, that's all we have to do. Jared would be so happy. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so then they also paid a lot of money to David Montgomery, and he's going to kind of do that bread and butter stuff for them. And he's probably better than Jamal Williams, but, like, I don't think David Montgomery is good. So yeah. I'm I'm, I'm actually not sure how this is going to play out. I mean, I think Gibbs, you know, the knocks on Gibbs is that he – he wasn't really used around the goal line too much. He's not really kind of a, a traditional rusher. He's going to be kind of like the better version of Swift. But, you know, at times they were running a three-man committee last year. Uh, we were seeing Justin Jackson. You know, we, we could see like Craig Reynolds some this year. You know, I, I don't – I've been skeptical of Montgomery. I think from a fantasy perspective, you're going to be able to pencil in a lot of touches for him. You know, he's he's got this contract behind him. He's got a rookie running back who doesn't really excel in kind of the, the meat and potatoes rushing stuff. So he should take on a lot, of, a lot of that work. And I think he will to start the season. But like, you know, Dave Montgomery would kind of give me an education in, in, in like in running back stats because like early on in his career, I was like, dude, this guy's breaking so many tackles, you know, like misforced tackles per touch. Like, wow, like look at this. But Sean Siegel at the time was like, yeah, look at yards after contact, though. <laughs> you have to you have to do something after you break the tackles and in the fantasy community i think we we often pay for missed tackles that those get priced in people like backs who break tackles and uh montgomery definitely does that but he doesn't really do much after that and he's getting older and you know that's been a weakness for him since he entered the league so i'm i'm kind of skeptical of what they have in montgomery i like gibbs but i'm skeptical that he can kind of take over as a rookie, like a, a true kind of three down role. He's probably got to put on 10 pounds before he can do that. So we're, I think we'd be talking about a second year breakout. Um, if he, you know, if he goes that way. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I definitely feel like this is kind of a sneaky week running back room potentially from, you know, can they, can they lean on a guy to close out a game or whatever? Like, that that part of it, I think there's. I think Gibbs is going to be as advertised in terms of his explosiveness in the receiving game, though. Well, I think that, like what you're describing, is at best an average running back room, because like Montgomery's not great. He's also not bad. Like there's nothing wrong with David Montgomery, but he's not going to probably elevate your running game. And so the question is, is Gibbs going to do that? And as you mentioned, there are usage concerns coming out of college. He wasn't used. Uh, near the goal line. I believe only a quarter of his runs were on inside runs last year or something like that, which is just, you know, that's not the kind of foundation of an NFL running game. That said, you get him into space and it's electric. Like there's no yeah. doubt about that. Like you just have to watch, you just have to watch four plays from him in space against SEC competition. You go, oh, okay. Yeah, I get this. Like I understand kind of where we are and what he can do. 
And so you would like to see him used that way. And I assume the Lions will use him that way. But how many touches will he actually get? You know, you look at the draft capital. He's a top half of the first round pick. You look at the running backs that have done that since 2010. They average 252 touches as a rookie. Like that, that is the kind of workload you normally see from, from these kinds of backs. But there are some names in there that you go, okay, this player seems a little bit more similar to Jameer Gibbs. You had Christian McCaffrey, had 197 touches. He's even, he was bigger than Gibbs. He was more ready. And he, by the way, he had a much stronger workload in college than, than Gibbs did uh, from like a touch per game. Yeah, he was basis. a workhorse in college. Absolute workhorse. And then I go back to CJ Spiller. That's why I went all the way back to 2010, because I went back to CJ Spiller, because that's the name that keeps coming up in my mind for when I think about who Gibbs can be. Now, 2010 was a long time ago. The NFL has changed dramatically since 2010, but Spiller had 98 touches as a rookie. He only played, I think, in 13 games or something like that as a rookie. He didn't really have a ton of touches as a sophomore. It wasn't until his third year that he really broke out and, and the coaching staff kind of started to trust him. You would hope that Detroit has a better plan now. This is a different, this is a different, like I said, this is a different NFL than what we saw back in, in 2010. And then Spiller did eventually, it was only one year of glory or two years, maybe did eventually have really his, one. You know, his, it was one year. Oh, uh, what, what a glorious year. It was one year and one off season of we're going to feed him till he pukes. And then they didn't <laughs> feed him till he puked. So that was it. Uh, <laughs> it was sad over times. Sad times. But anyway, so I think Gibbs will probably become good. And like I said, this, he fits certainly better in the modern NFL than he would have even 13 years ago. But I do question, is the coaching staff going to, you would hope, since they picked, sent this pick on him, is the coaching staff really going to give him a ton of touches? And if they're not giving him 200 touches, then that means we're getting a lot of touches from running backs that are just fine at best. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, that lowers the that lowers the upside of, well, not the upside, because the upside's there if Gibbs is, but that kind of lowers what you're, how you view this backfield if Gibbs isn't getting, you know, 200 touches or so. Yeah, and I don't think he will. Um, I think he's probably a better receiver than Spiller was. Uh, no, I, I went back because the Spiller comp was was interesting, and I went back and kind of looked at Spiller as a prospect and stuff. And I do think Gibbs is probably a superior receiving prospect. Uh, I wonder if, as sort of an archetype, Reggie Bush would make sense. He came in yeah, at two hundred one, so they're they're actually quite similar in size. Uh, you know, it'd be nice if Gibbs could have. Could have drank a little water before the combine and weighed 200 pounds. Like, come on, man. But uh, I can't, yeah, so I can't remember who it was. I think it was on the athletic podcast. I think it might be Robert May said this, but like, it's concerning that he knew that 200 was the number. Like, that's the number. Like, Bryce Young knew what the number was, that how tall he could be, but he can't make himself taller. You knew that 200 was the number. You couldn't go and eat a Chinese buffet the day before. I know. And, like, let all that salt soak up all the water in you. And, and, Take it from a fat guy. I like, He should have called me. I can tell you how to put on five pounds in a day. If Honestly, I didn't think pounds, of the salt angle. That's the first I'm hearing of the salt angle. It's genius. Your ankles will be swollen, but the, uh, you, will, you will have more weight on you for sure. <laughs> so future running backs, as our running backs get smaller, if you want to be over 200 pounds, you give me a call, give me a grand, I will... I'll, I'll take you to the restaurants you need to go to. We, the fried chicken will flow, and you will definitely get over 200 pounds. But so, like, what this just sounds like a good player? time, frankly. I'm in. Like, 
throw the grand out of it. I'm just in. Pay for <laughs> yeah. the meal, and I'm happy to do this. But, but like, yeah, if if he knew he had to be over 200 and he only got to 199, what does he actually play at? Yeah, you know? what did he? Yeah, it's, what was he before he started it? He might have been 185. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, so yeah, so there are a lot of those questions. But I think that the overall point here for kind of our exercises, if Gibbs can be the electric player he was in college and they get him enough touches, I think his backfield is going to be pretty good. But if we're going to see mostly David Montgomery, then you're like, eh, I don't know. And then golf, is he going to recreate what we saw last year? I don't know. I think there are a lot more questions about this Detroit team because it's the feel-good team and everybody loves Dan Campbell and everybody loves what they did at the end of last season. There are a lot more questions about this Detroit team than, than maybe we are, than maybe we yeah. are accepting. I think another guy right I'd, I'd mention is another undersized back. Um, is Ray Rice, who came in at like, I think he came in at 198 or 199. He then put on like 10 pounds. But as a rookie, he had 107 attempts and 33 receptions. And like that feels, and then the following year, he had 254 attempts and 101 targets, 78 receptions. Um, I've been kind of thinking about Gibbs like McCaffrey or Rice, where it's like, even if he's a star, we should probably temper expectations for his rookie season. I think if he breaks out as a rookie, it might be kind of David Johnson-esque where it's down the stretch. He just kind of crushes. I don't think it would be the same. He's just like the the three-down workhorse because Johnson had, I don't know, 30 pounds on him. But uh, we could see something similar where he's just kind of developed in the ways he needs to to where he can you know get 15 touches or whatever, and he's so explosive um, that it would be down the stretch. So I've been, for fantasy purposes, I've been – even though I take Gibbs in like the third or fourth, which is where he's going, I build it like I took him in the sixth. Then, you know, I build it like it's a zero running back team and I can't rely on any early season production from him. I think early on, especially, we might see a three back rotation. I mean, they they had no problems rotating in a third back last year. Um, I would I would definitely like I'm gonna be annoyed if the Twitter community is blasting the Lions and Jameer Gibbs for him not immediately crushing. Like that is not who he is. It's I don't think very reflective of how good he's ultimately going to be. It's actually an interesting point because I I have this thought about Bijan because Bijan's going to be good as a rookie. Like I have no doubt in my mind in that running game he's going to be very good as a rookie. And so I think that the the uh, you know the running back heavy people are going to come in and say like see. It worked out. He was the number eight pick, which takes all of the nuance. Let's see where he is. You know, Ezekiel Elliott was great as a rookie as well. So uh, we'll see kind of where we are in, you know, five or six years on that one. It could be the opposite for Gibbs. Like the running backs don't matter crew can go in. How dare you use a 12th pick on this player that you gave 125 touches to? Whereas in two years, Gibbs could be the most explosive back. He could be yeah. Jamal Charles. You know, like, like, so in two years, we could be looking at it differently. So it's kind of interesting that you could see either side of that running back debate uh, on with both players at the same time. Like, yes, that yeah. could be that. That would be the <laughs> most beautiful Twitter discussion. Perfectly Twitter discussion. You of, you of let me ha- know how it goes. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to sit it out. I don't think I can I'm handle gonna DM it. you all of the tweets. I no. see uh, just so just so you know. That they're there. Uh, Don't worry. You'll you'll get to see. I'll be able to make a Google Doc <laughs> that I'll keep share with you. So, another team that drafted a rookie higher than we expected them to draft a rookie is the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they drafted Zach Charbonnet in the second round, a year after spending his second round pick on Kenneth Walker, who, by all accounts, hit as a rookie. And so they hit on Kenneth Walker as a second round pick last year. 
their running, their passing game was good. They spent a first round pick on Jackson Smith and Jigba. We think, all right, yeah, here we go. You know, we're, we're, we're in on Seattle again. They actually threw it last year. They finished, what was it, sixth in pass rate over expected, eight, something like that at pass rate over expected. We're back in on, we're back in on Seattle. Then they hit us with Zach Charbonnet in the second round. When I think about kind of the rationale behind it, you know, they've talked up Charbonnet as a pass catcher, which I don't really buy. Like, I think if you look at the way he was used in college, he was more of like a dump off guy. Like he catches yeah. passes, that's fine. But like he had a negative 0.9 a dot last year. He was a dump off receiver. That's all he was. Right. He's not going to be running routes down the field, or at least he wasn't in college. Maybe he can develop into that. Maybe they saw something there. But when I think about why would Seattle do this, I think about the kind of running back Kenneth Walker is, the boom or bust nature of Kenneth Walker. He had 12.7% of his runs last year were over 10 yards. 23.7% of his runs did not gain yardage. So like he was very boom or bust. Around the goal line, he, he didn't do anything. He had 12 of the 16 goal-to-go carries for the Seahawks last year, and he scored two touchdowns on those 12 carries. Like he was not productive in those situations. And so when I think about Zach Charbonnet, I think that he's come in to be kind of the thunder to Penny's lightning, which if we're thinking about fantasy perspective, that's bad for both of them, I think. Yeah, I think it's potentially bad for both of them. Although, you know, from the fantasy perspective, like, you know, fifth round Kenneth Walker right now versus, which is a nice discount from where people were taking him early. Uh, for sure. And, but, you know, still quite a bit higher than you're getting Zach Charbonnet. He goes, he goes more in the ninth round. And I'm like, I kind of like Charbonnet in the ninth round, like a lot at the, at that price, because you mentioned goal line carries and receptions. And that is what drives fantasy production. And I think Charbonnet might be the favorite to lead in both areas, certainly on the receiving side. Like, yeah, I completely agree about what his profile is. He profiled as like, guy who can do it as a receiver not someone that you're like super excited about um as a receiver you know i kind of like maybe kind of cam acres e where it's like yeah you believe him out on third downs it's fine you don't you don't have to take him off the field if you want to dump throw dump off passes to him great if you don't you know you're not really missing out on much but walker is not that guy walker's like a take him off the field now type of guy that was his his profile coming in he did not profile well as a receiver as a rookie so, you know, in terms of competition, there really isn't any for Charbonnet. I mean, DJ Dallas, I guess. I mean, they did actually talk about using DJ Dallas still on third down. So, you know, let's Pete Carroll will break our hearts and, and make this a three three man rotation. But I think Charbonnet, as he comes on, you know, has a chance to solidify that third down work. And Walker, yeah, he was terrible uh, in success rate last year. I mean, really bad. I mean, the kind of stuff where you're like, dudes get cut when they have the kind of success rate that uh, Kenneth Walker did last year. Um, let me pull it up because he had, yeah, last year, lowest success rate in the lead with, was James Robinson. Uh, then I'll Kenneth Walker was <laughs> Kenneth Walker was second to last. Then Michael Carter. Then DeAndre Swift. Dalvin Cook. Um, yeah, it was it was really really rough. Ezekiel Elliott was not far behind here. Um, it's like guys whose teams gave up on them basically, and and Kenneth Walker, whose team, huh, took a running back in the second round. That's interesting. What could that mean? Yeah. 
Like, I, I think that I, I do feel like that it's not the most likely outcome, but I think there are it's very plausible that after the end of the year, we go, oh, we had the running backs flipped in Seattle. We should have been drafting Charbonnet first because he's going to get he ended up getting the goal line work and he ended up getting the receiving work. And Walker, it's not that he's bad. He's really good at what he does, which is explosive run plays. And that's that's awesome. But normally for, for fantasy purposes, like we're looking at that guy going second. That's that's like your the guy, you know, the guy you take Rashad after and you're that's your Rashad Penny. You're like, well, if things break right, you know, oh man, but I can't count on this guy. And I I I think that Walker's sort of a a little at risk of becoming that type of, of archetype. So um I'm not like it for fantasy purposes, I, I'm a little bit nervous about him. Although he is so discounted from where he started that I do take him sometimes. But then Charbonnet, I like a lot. And in combination for real life, like I kind of like this backfield. I mean, I kind of love the idea of like you've got this really talented, explosive runner who you can't really count on in certain situations. So then you bring in this guy who basically profiled as reliable. He's got he's got enough juice to like not be, you know, really boring, but he's also going to be reliable. He's going to do everything. You, you want to slam between the tackles? Great. That'll work. You know, he's he's not that much bigger than Walker, but he's definitely got that bigger running style. He can be totally capable as a receiver. Uh, I think in combination, these guys make a ton of sense. I actually had them in the top 10. Like, even with – like, and this is the this is why I like to have this conversation, this separation between, between fantasy and real life. In fantasy, it's a headache because you don't really know what's going to happen. And like you mentioned, like if Charbonnet becomes the goal line back, that's, that is not good for Kenneth Walker because he, even with all those opportunities last year, the reason why he scored touchdowns was from long range. And we know that long range touchdowns don't really uh, stick from year to year. And so that's bad for him. But from like a real life perspective, this backfield looks really good because you have, like you said, old reliable Zach Charbonnet. We're going to trust him to get the yards and get to have that high success rate when we need it on third down and on fourth down. And then we're going to have our home run hitter and Kenneth Walker who can make big plays um, and create kind of those explosive plays you'd have to have in the NFL to score points uh, because you're just not going to three yards down the field the whole way. It's not going to work for almost every offense that is not uh, the Atlanta Falcons or San Francisco 49ers. And so like you have, even they need big plays, but you know, I like the Falcons. I'm, I've mentioned them a bunch of times. I'm fascinated by the Falcons and their offense and how good they were able to be last year with Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter. I cannot get over it. It will not get out of my mind. But anyway, I'll stop mentioning. I'll stop mentioning them. But, like, this is a good backfield. We'll have to see how the passing – I you know, you, we talk about who's going to be the pass catcher. I kind of wish they would have kept Travis Homer. <laughs> like, that would have been a better situation yeah. for them. But – Travis Homer, you know, who I have a long time crush on Travis Homer. I think he's better than than maybe people think. He's just a running back who cares, but I think he's better. Great pass blocker, Travis Homer, right? Doesn't he excel at pass blocking? Yeah, like he's good and he's explosive too. Like I everything about Travis Homer. He's in Chicago now. We'll talk about Chicago in a second. But the um but yeah, so like maybe the pass catching's not great, but everything else about this about this backfield I think makes sense. Um I wish it didn't cost them two second round picks to put it together. Yeah. Like that yeah. would have, that would have been better, but yeah. At I what cost is sort of the, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's a good backfield, but, but at what cost? Yeah. I mean, the thing about the Seahawks too, is like, they're a kind of interesting team where I 
you know, last year we were seeing them play more balanced, you know, even sort of tilted to the pass a little bit, but they would be in these high scoring games where they're still running the ball. You know, the last couple of years we saw they'll put up points, but they're still running the ball, but they're able to do that because like they have these explosive rushers in, in Penny and Walker. Um, I think, you know, they can kind of have this exciting brand of, of football, even that's not quite as pass heavy as we normally see from, from these exciting teams. And yeah, I don't think they'll they'll dump off to whoever it is all that often. That's they they more throw down the field. I mean, I like that they kind of they have these guys on the outside that can really push the ball downfield. They're gonna have Jackson Smith and Jigba underneath. So there probably won't be, you know, if you're gonna defend Walker, it's like who cares if he loses the receiving work? There's not gonna be that much of it anyway. He's he's the explosive guy. Um, they'll probably they'll probably split goal line work at least to start. Um, and and maybe he maybe he improves in that way. So I still think Walker's is pretty interesting, um, especially as he falls. And yeah, from a real life real life perspective, good job. I don't. I guess I can't say good job because he spent two second round picks to do it. But you know, if you if this was your goal, you did a good you did a good job assembling a, a good backfield. No good work. Uh, it's what my trainer pats me on the back when I when I'm able to run half a mile. You know, it's good for you. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, but, but yeah, so let's move on to one that you brought up, one that I wasn't thinking about when we were going back and forth, but I like that you brought it up, and I think I know the reason you brought it up, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'm guessing the reason you want to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers is because there is a very real chance that the number two running back on the depth chart is much better than the number one running back on the depth chart. Is that the case? Is that why we want to talk about it? Yeah, that is why I want to talk about it. I think that... I mean, Najee Harris has done really nothing since he's come in the league. Um, he's he's one of these guys. I mean, in some ways, he was sort of the Charbonnet archetype, where it's like he can do whatever you need him to do. But I thought his receiving ability was really o- oversold. I mean, he just was never – I mean, any kind of the efficiency numbers, like they just, just did not back up the idea that he was a special receiving back at all. Like he, he was fine. But it would be like if you, you know, were, oh, Zach Charbonnet, such a great receiving back. Like, no, he's, if you want to throw it to him, he will, he will catch the ball and turn up field. Like, it won't be a problem. But, you know, with, with um, Harris, it kind of has been a bit of a problem because he can't get up field. Like, he just doesn't have any explosive explosiveness. And that was a red, a red flag for him as a rusher coming out. Did not have really any long runs in college. Um, and, you know, I think a little unsurprisingly, that part of his game hasn't aged well. You know, it's like you don't get more explosive when you take on a big NFL workload. So I'm like, you know, what are we answering year three now with Najee? This is when teams start to look around. You know, it's like the year two breakout didn't happen. Year three is looking a little too like, you know, it's looking pretty similar to year one and two. I mean, this is where CEH got phased out, you know. Yep. This is this is the time. This is this is uh in year three we started to hear a lot of rumblings about how the Jaguars weren't super psyched about Leonard Fournette. You know he didn't. Then it was the following off season where he got cut. But this would be the time where if, if Najee Harris doesn't show any kind of improvement, you know he could be he could be gone. Um, you know again, not like during the season, but I think they could like draft someone after the year. Like they could, you know, they could basically put a plan in place after this season feeling like Najee Harris, isn't that guy Um, to put some numbers to this in in rush yards over expected last year, 
Melvin Gordon was last, Michael Carter, second to last, James Robinson, third to last, Leonard Fournette, then Najee Harris, then Ezekiel Elliott. So, I mean, he was he was bad. He was bad last year. If you look at what Jalen Warren did, he was really impressed as a receiving back. Uh, Christian McCaffrey ranks first in ESPN's receiver ratings, uh, which uses the player tracking data, um, as does the NFL Next Gen stat that I was referencing. Uh, Austin Eckler was second and tied with him, Jalen Warren. Uh, Deion Jackson, Joe Mixon were uh, fourth and fifth. So uh, Kareem Hunt and Jerick McKinnon were sixth. Alvin Kamara, eighth. So it's pretty the, – the list sort of passes the smell test to me. It makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So Warren's not like a big back. He's an undrafted free agent. Uh, I am not projecting him to like take over the backfield. Najee's benched, you know, zero running back drafters, like just – just wrap themselves in glory. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think he can start to force a split. I think we can start to see kind of like an Austin Eckler, Melvin Gordon type of situation emerge here. where like, yeah, Najee still got his, you know, he's, he's definitely a big part of the backfield, but he's losing snaps. And we already saw that happen where as a rookie, he was like in the 80% snap share range that he declined quite a bit from his rookie season. Last year, I think he could decline again and be like a more traditional lead back where he's getting like 65% of the snaps as opposed to this like true workhorse level. He just hasn't earned workhorse treatment. I mean, if anything, he's earned backup treatment. So, you know, I don't think he'll, I don't think it'll go there, but um, I think Warren, Warren's like really interesting to me. He flashes a rookie. Uh, the other nice thing, for Warren is that they haven't really brought in anyone else. I think in a way Najee protects him because it's like they have this first round draft capital on Najee. So they, they're not going to bring in anybody and they, they feel like they Warren is a, a capable backup. So they don't need to worry about him. It's like Anthony McFarlane behind him. Like there's really no competition and they're not going to bring in any competition. So I'll have my eye on this backfield to see if Warren can kind of carve out more of a role as the season goes on. And, I'll partly have my eye on it because I'm going to have a lot of Warren in my fantasy drafts. Well, I think that, you know, you talked about him as a pass catcher and that that probably is the the most likely path here for Warren to, to get more work. But like the rushing numbers also tell the story of Warren being better. I mean, they were running behind the same offensive line. Warren had 4.9 yards per carry. Harris had 3.8. Warren had 0.12 EPA per rush. Harris had negative 0.13. Warren's yards before contact was 1.84. Najee's was 1.07. And I believe yards before contact is at least partly, if not mostly, a running back stat more than a more than an offensive yeah. line stat. Uh, Warren had 3.08 yards after contact per us. Najee had 2.74. Like, from a rushing perspective, just a running back perspective, Warren was better last year. And you're right. Like, they don't have the draft capital invested in Warren you know, if you're thinking about this from like a dynasty fantasy football perspective, if they do cut ties with Najee, I'm sure they bring in somebody else. I'm sure Warren gets Khalil Herbert, which we'll talk yeah. about Chicago in a second. So I'm not saying that like we should be investing Warren, but I just think that if we're thinking about real life, is this backfield any good? Najee Harris has not been really that good. The back behind him is probably better. And I have doubts that Pittsburgh is going to cut ties in a significant enough way to have Warren be the clear lead back this year. And that kind of, that, that hurts them. Like if I'm ranking them, I'm ranking them at best mid pack because of that. Unless, you know, Harris finished the season. Okay. Last year, 
you can make excuses for him that he was hurt. But again, like you mentioned, the numbers, those underlying numbers don't look much different than his underlying numbers as a rookie. This is two years in a row that this is what we've seen from Najee Harris. This is probably who Najee Harris is. Maybe the end result can be better because they added Isaac uh, uh, Siamulo, Siamalu, Siamalu. There we go. I don't know why I couldn't say that word. It's one of those words. It's one of those names that I've typed so many times, but I don't think I've ever said it. And then you try to say it, and you go, "Oh no, I don't really know how to say this." Name. Yeah, this is the danger uh, of being a writer. You, you're like, oh, "I've never actually said this thing." I'm, I think I know. Yeah, I think I know. But you know, then they added uh, Broderick Jones, um, Bro Derek Jones in in the um, in the you know first round. So like maybe the offensive line is better, even though it was underrated last year. It was kind of fine last year. So. Like there are there are ways that Najee Harris's like in product numbers could look better this year, but his underlying numbers have now been bad two years in a row. And like you said, this is the time where you start to question, okay, how how invested in this is Pittsburgh actually? And so it's going to be interesting to see how this how this works out. By the way, I, I'm pretty sure his name is Broderick Jones, but for some reason. I like like Matthew Broderick. It's obviously Broderick Jones, but like when I see it, I, I like I want to say Derek, and I know that it's not Derek. <laughs> so you say like, Broad Derek, Bro Derek? Yeah, like I don't know. Well, I think it's because I say the word bro way too much. Like bro <laughs> is I say the word like too much, as people listening to this podcast will know. I say the word bro too much because I find it hilarious i think ironically it's one of the funniest words and so now anytime i see bro my brain just goes bro and, and so i think that that's the problem we have here with this name broderick i'm sorry broderick. i'm guessing in his life he has heard bro derek <laughs> i guess i guess that joke has probably been made before yeah <laughs> uh, but you got uh, any more on, uh, on harris yeah well i was gonna mention the, the rookie season um numbers were were you know as you mentioned they were not good uh he had minus uh negative rush yards over expected as a rookie and he was tied with Clyde Edwards Elaire in rush yards over expected per attempt um 2 years ago in 2021 so you know it really was kind of a, an inauspicious start to the career for Najee and uh he's even worse last year so not, not ideal. The The last not one I wanted to talk about here was the Bears. I mentioned them a couple times. I find the Bears fascinating. I see them kind of similarly to the Eagles at obviously a much lower level. But there are a lot of pieces in here with this team that I think are pretty good. But I don't know how the situation is going to shake out. I don't know who's going to end up being kind of the guy or even if they will have a, the guy. And so I don't know how good they actually are. But when I look at the three running backs at the top of this depth chart, and that's not even thinking about my, you know, my my good friend Travis Homer, uh, who is who is also there and probably will have some type of passing game usage if they keep him on the roster. But I look at the three backs on this roster, and I think all three of them are good. I mean, Khalil Herbert has been a yard creator throughout his career. We talked about rushing yards over expected. He ranked first in that uh, last season according to Next Gen stats. Yeah. We have Dante Foreman, who is a player, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, that I find so interesting. Because if if he doesn't disappear for two and a half seasons because of his Achilles tear, then I think we view this guy a lot differently. I mean, he was a day two pick as a running back. He had a lot of draft capital behind him. Then he suffers that injury, 
But then he comes back over the last two years, and he's been good over the last two years. He's 14th in yards after contact per rush among qualifying running backs over the last two seasons. He stepped into that Carolina job and was good for them. He was good with the Titans in 2021. Like, I think I think Foreman is probably being undervalued because of that that gap in his career with that Achilles injury, but now he looks back to the kind of running back that would get drafted on day two. So I think that he's good, and he actually, if I was trying to pick a running back that's going to take this over, he would be my my choice for that. And then they draft Roshan Johnson, who, you know, is overshadowed by Bijan Robinson at UT, but he was a good back in his own right. He's big. He's 219 pounds. He's got a really nice 10-yard split for a player that that big. He forced missed tackles and broken tackles in college. He looks like he's also a yard creator. So we have three guys that look like they're yard creators in this offense that they're going to benefit from, as all running backs do with running quarterbacks, from Justin Fields being there. So I think that this running game and this backfield, it's possible that we're underrating. It's possible that even I'm underrating it just based on the uncertainty that, that comes with all three of these guys in the situation. But like if, if by the end of the year, we looked at this running back situation as pretty good, that would not surprise me. Yeah. Like if you think about taking out David Montgomery and replacing him with like Roshan Johnson, Foreman, a little bit more from Cleo Herbert, it's definitely like way more uncertain, but I think like way better too. Like I, Sometimes teams like put value in like this guy can like this guy can do everything. I can leave him out there. You know, I don't got to worry about him. I don't have to, you know, rotate, rotate my backs. Like, I don't know, rotate your backs. <laughs> What's the problem with rotating your backs? Like Deontay Foreman and Cleo Herbert in combination, like their combined rushes will be way more explosive than what you were getting from David Montgomery. Like way more. I mean, David Montgomery was really bad last year and was playing alongside a mobile quarterback. Like you're supposed to be good. You know, he was okay as a receiver, you know, but he wasn't that great, but he was, he wasn't a problem. But, you know, as a rusher, he's just not explosive. And when you play alongside a mobile quarterback, that's supposed to create lanes. It's supposed to create explosive opportunities for running backs. And it did for Khalil Herbert. I mean, he was, he was great. He was, as you mentioned, first in uh, rush yards over expected per attempt, he had a really good success rate as well. I mean, consistent and explosive. You know, uh, in terms of success rate, he was fourth in the league. Second, though, was Deontay Foreman. So I think that, you know, they have two guys who who do both things. They they hit the hole, they get upfield, and they have explosiveness. Um, that's like that's like the perfect archetype to pair with Justin Fields. He's not going to pass to his running backs a ton anyway. Uh, I think Roshan Johnson, one of the big selling points on him as a prospect was that he was a great pass protector you know even as a rookie i think he will probably be the guy they leave out um as a pass protector maybe travis homer will will have that to begin the year and then roshan will kind of take it over maybe that's the succession plan there but i don't know i've actually had a harder time getting excited about roshan johnson than some other people you know in fantasy he, he tends to be gone whenever i think about taking him you know he'll go like six picks ahead of when i think you know i would want to want to grab him because i'm like I get the upside of it. Like he's the one who could probably take over the whole backfield because he can get the third down stuff. And then he maybe kind of earns the trust and just becomes a workhorse. That's like an appealing upside case. And I don't think it's totally implausible, but in order to do that, he's got to displace two different rushers who are quite good and probably better than he is. 
um, just overall and, and also just like kind of provide more juice. Like I think Roshan's going to be kind of more like a steady hand in general, um, kind of more in the Montgomery archetype, frankly. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not quite as sold on, on him, like achieving the upside case. But again, from like a real life perspective, if you've got a guy who's going to be totally fine, you can leave him out there for whatever. And, you know, he's the pass protector and passing down back. That's pretty, that's pretty good. You could do like, you know, they have some big explosive pass play, gets him down to the two yard line. You can run up to the line and Roshan up the middle, you know, hurry up offense that you don't have to, he's not, you know, five, 10, 175 or something. You don't got to take him out for that. He's, he's versatile. So I think from a real life perspective, you know, they kind of have a, a pretty valuable guy in Roshan Johnson and they potentially have two awesome rushers in Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman. So I think kind of a sneaky underrated real life backfield. Cause we don't know how it's going to play out. All these guys go into double digit rounds in fantasy. It's hard to be like, Oh, this is an amazing backfield given that we don't value any of the running backs individually that highly, but I do think it's pretty good backfield. Yeah. That's exactly where I fell on it. And like, it wouldn't be surprising if, you know, if Khalil Herbert like establishes himself as, Oh, this guy is actually really good. And we view this backfield differently by the end of the season or Foreman, as I keep saying, you know, he is older now, but that pedigree is there. And like to your point about the pass catching, probably not matter. Yeah. I think fields targeted running backs at at the bottom 10 rate among quarterbacks last season. He's a running quarterback. It makes sense for him to run the football. He takes sacks. Right. He he doesn't take sacks. He takes sacks. He he runs around. He extends plays. Like he's not gonna, he doesn't check down. Like, and some of these check downs, you know, you love a quarterback. If you if you have a running back in fantasy, you love a quarterback who checks down quickly. Like sometimes like you see like Baker will like he'll check down, but he waits until the linebackers like literally like yeah. staring the running back right in the face. And then he'll then he'll try to check down. And you're like, you know, no yards after catch. You know, you want you want a guy who's immediately like, oh, taking the check down right real quick, like Brady last year. You know, nothing, nothing. Here you go. You can get four yards now. So that's never going to be fields. Uh, makes the Roshan or the, whoever the passing down back is a little less appealing, but um, you know, you still need that guy to be good. Absolutely. So that's it for all of our situations we wanted to talk about. Um, you know, I really appreciate you coming on Pat, Pat trick Corain at Pat Corain on Twitter, legendaryupside.com. Go and check it out. I've been excited. Every time I get an email notification that you've sent uh, that you've sent a new article out, I, I get excited. I, I always flag it and I go, ooh, this will be reading material for, for later. So uh, I've really enjoyed your content. Everybody go check out his content over there. You can check out our content on sharpfootballanalysis.com. Warren Sharp just launched a futures package. I'm going to have a ADP article going up. It should be up by the time you listen to this podcast. We obviously have the fantasy football draft kit over there. Lots of stuff going on over at Sharp Football Analysis. Check it out. We'll be back next week. Todd will be back to talk about best ball early next week. I believe Rich will be back later next week to talk about wide receivers. So make sure you stay subscribed. Keep us in mind, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.